Jeremiah chapter 31 says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will make. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then in 1 John chapter 1, the apostle writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Let's pray together. Father, we come from the rush and the whirl of busy lives and busy weeks, and we bring all kinds of baggage with us wherever we go. But I pray for everybody here this morning that they will be able to lay down what's happening this afternoon, what's on TV, what, what they're having for lunch, where they're going, who's visiting, they can lay all those things aside so that we can be here to do what the apostle wrote about, which is to see and hear from the living God. That what your word has to say to us will be passed on as life and truth. We ask you, give us this gift this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Back in 1989, Robert Fulham published a little book that went on to become a bestseller. It was titled, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Many of you have probably heard of it. Here's what he says. Most of what I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. And these are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say sorry when you hurt someone. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. <laughs> Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint some and sing and dance and play and work some every day. Take a nap every afternoon. Yeah, right. Um, and when you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Remember that little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down and the plant goes up, and nobody really knows how or why. But we're all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice, and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die, and so do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first word you learned, the biggest word of all, look. We hear something like that, and we have a kind of, ah, kind of moment, don't we? Uh, the words are comforting. They have a ring of truth to them. It's like chicken soup for the soul. They go down very easily, which is why it's sold over 16 million copies and been translated into 27 languages. It is, however, bumper sticker wisdom. Bumper sticker wisdom. It may be cute, but as a summary of what we need to know about life, it's woefully inadequate. It has absolutely nothing to say about other really important issues in life. Oh, I don't know, like sin, heaven, hell, 
God, faith, salvation, evil, justice, mercy, grace, love, repentance, eternity, perseverance, suffering, loneliness, poverty, prayer, hope, sacrifice, truth, goodness, beauty, racism, servanthood, praise, worship, just off the top of my head. Just a few things that were left off of his kindergarten list. Now, I say all that because as erroneous as it is to say all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten, it would be equally as erroneous for me to say all I really need to know about my Christian life and faith I learned in Sunday school. Like kindergarten, Sunday school is a wonderful thing. And I learned all kinds of things about God and his word, about who Jesus is and some of the characters and the stories that the Bible contains. But my understanding of the foundations of the Christian faith, of who God is and and who Jesus is, what it means to be a follower of Christ, was severely limited in Sunday school because I was a child. And as a child, you can only process things to a certain degree. Uh, The truth is, I did not learn most of what I need to know about being a disciple of Jesus Christ in Sunday school. Uh, So this week and next, I want to talk to you about what I wish I had learned in Sunday school. At least not everything, just two, actually, two topics. There are plenty others, but I've only got two weeks. So I'm just going to give you two. Things that I wish I had learned in Sunday school. Uh, Because there are truths and principles and issues of faith that every one of us learn after Sunday school that uh, we wish somebody would have explained that to us. Why didn't somebody tell me that? When I was there, ready to absorb, as you were, you know, the simple, quiet, trusting children who aren't running around and screaming and hitting each other, of course, because we're all in Sunday school. You know, okay, I'm being facetious there, just in case. No, but why didn't somebody tell me that? Uh, and the first of the things, the topic this week, that I wish I had learned more than anything else, the biggest issue I wish I learned was how God speaks. How God speaks. Because every week as we gather for worship, we ask God to speak to us, don't we? We sing it, we pray it, we preach it, we long for it. But, and this is a rhetorical question, so I'm not looking for anyone to respond, how do we know when God is speaking? How do you know when God is speaking to you? What's the litmus test for your life? Is it an inner conviction? Is it an inner voice in your head? Is it a warm, fuzzy feeling? Is it a tingle down the spine? And if I didn't get that during worship, well, I didn't really connect with God. You know, what are your markers that you'd say, I know God spoke to me today? They didn't teach me that in Sunday school. How do we know when God is speaking? Calvin Miller writes, he says, God is not just an ear, but also a voice. If he never speaks, is it safe to assume he ever listens. First time I read that quote, that scared the life out of me, terrified me, in fact, because it crystallized for me something which had been following me around for years, like a ghost, haunting me, unnerving me, disturbing me. And it was this, quite simply, why does God seem to speak to me so infrequently? Speak to me so infrequently. This is a personal thing. And if he never speaks is it safe to assume he ever listens? So that was, that was a huge confrontation challenge for me. Why don't I sense his presence more often? 
when everybody else around me seems to be. Isn't that the way it works? You know, if you're having trouble in your marriage, everybody else's marriages look like bliss. And it's like nobody has these problems. You know, and, and it's the same in our relationship with God. Why am I struggling so much? Everybody else seems to have it all together. That's just the, you know, human nature, I think. But I agonized over these questions for years in terms of why God didn't seem to speak to me very often, particularly during my time at seminary. I would speak to professors after class. I spoke to guest speakers after daily chapel. I spoke to friends. I spoke to pastors at church. Basically, anybody who'd listen, I, I interrogated them um, over God's lack, my frustration with God's lack of interaction in my life in the hope that one of them would have the answer, that one of them would provide me with the magical piece that must be missing from my life because I just didn't feel this intimate connection with God that everybody seemed to be talking about and everybody else seemed to have. I was convinced there was something wrong with me. Now, there may be something wrong with me, but I'm just referring to this particular area. I thought there was something wrong with me in my spiritual life because I just didn't seem to be hearing from God very often. I longed for a closer relationship with him. Close enough so that whenever somebody stood up at the end of a message or a chapel service or whatever and said, well, we've all felt God's presence here this morning, I didn't want to just leap up and say, excuse me, I didn't. I really didn't feel his presence here this morning because I didn't. You know, it's a very rare experience for me to be able to say I felt the presence of God. Probably... Fingers of two hands in 57 years summarize how many times I could say honestly that I have felt that. And so that's why I thought there was something wrong with me. You know, everybody else is talking, oh, God's presence was so close. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Why isn't it close for me? Hebrews chapter 1, we read, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. How? What does that mean that he says he's spoken to us by his son? How does he speak to me today by his son? How does that work? Those are the questions I couldn't answer, question that Sunday school didn't answer. And they just bugged me. It's like a rotten tooth. It just ate. It was part of my soul. Was it well with my soul? Well, there was something I felt that was wrong with my soul because, oh, because of this issue. And the reason they bugged me was because in church, here, church I grew up in, most churches, we talk about the Christian life being a relationship with God, don't we? That's the terminology, relationship. Well, uh, that's what we're called into. That's what faith is all about. But the faith I had ended up with didn't look a whole lot like a relationship, not in my understanding of relationship. It seemed like I was doing all the talking, God was doing all the listening. I wonder how many of us have struggled with this at times, but remained silent. Because, of course, I did remain silent. Uh, I didn't breathe a word of this to anyone for years. I thought that questioning the nature of my relationship with God would make me look like a bad Christian. Whatever that is, well, it certainly would have fallen into that category because when you're, you're questioning your relationship with God, there's something seriously wrong with that. So I said nothing, because everybody else seemed to be having a great relationship with him. So though I asked the questions of a lot of people, I didn't reveal the dissatisfaction at first. 
I believed Christianity was about a relationship with God. The belief issue was not a problem. It was my personal experience of it that was the problem. And that struggle boiled down to one issue, communication. Communication. Because for a relationship to exist between me and anybody, human or divine, communication is a necessity. If I had got married and decided to never speak to my wife again, we would not have much of a relationship. Right? Can we communicate non-verbally? Well, yes, but that's only going to go so far, isn't it? You know, this really only goes so far. I mean, <laughs> the, uh, the non-verbal communication part of relationship is an important part, but you need words. Now, God has communicated non-verbally too. Psalm 19, we read, The heavens, so creation, declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. So he has a nonverbal communication. But on its own, that's not enough. Because if it was enough, Jesus would never have had to come. Because he could have just communicated everything he wanted to say through nature. But he gave us words alongside his nonverbal communication. He gave us the living word. So how do I know when God is speaking to me through his word or through creation? The responses that I got from my professors and the guest speakers and my friends and my pastors, whoever I could question, amounted to little more than a rehashing of what I had learned in Sunday school, uh, which was quite simply, there was a formula. God speaks to us through his word, and we speak to God through prayer. That was the formula. That's how it was supposed to work. Now, I had no problem praying, and I was reading the Word, but my issue was God didn't seem to be speaking. Now, let me qualify that, because in the first flush of faith, when, we first, uh, when, when regeneration takes place and we first encounter the living God, we kind of enter a special period of life where, because of the first year or so, maybe two years of my Christian walk, um, I could not open the Scripture without saying, wow, look at this, this is amazing. God seemed to be speaking all the time. Calvin Miller says it this way, sorry, J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, God is very gentle with very young Christians, just as mothers are with very young babies. Often the start of their Christian career is marked by great emotional joy and striking providences and remarkable answers to prayer and immediate fruitfulness to their first acts of witness. Thus God encourages them and establishes them in the life. But as they grow old, stronger and are able to bear more, he exercises them in a tougher school. He exposes them to as much testing by the pressure of opposed and discouraging influences as they are able to bear. Not more, but equally not less. And thus he builds our character, strengthens our faith, and prepares us to help others. So I had a normal beginning to my Christian life, and so we've tasted that. I felt, you know, I've had God ex- communicating often, regularly, as a first part of my Christian experience. But then it kind of dried up. And uh, the result was that my Christian life began to feel less and less like a relationship and more and more like a duty. Well, I'm just supposed to do these things now. God isn't really saying very much, but I know the truth. And he's told me this is how I'm supposed to be. And, this is... and so it becomes, it becomes a chore, really, rather than, a delight. 
And relationships are supposed to be a delight. Aren't they? You're supposed to enjoy, oh, I get to see my best friend. We get to go out and do something together. That's how relationships, you know, because there are other people, you're like, oh, great, so-and-so's coming over. All right? You know, <laughs> this is how relationships are. There are some that are life-giving, and there are some are not. Some are chores. Well, if this is the author of life, you know, you expect it to fall into the living, oh, yes, kind of category, not the, oh, great, God wants me to do this now kind of category, all right? That's the kind of relationship that we're looking for. By the time I went to Bible college at the age of 24, I had gotten beyond worrying about what people thought, and I got more concerned with finding answers, and that's why I began pestering people. And uh, the years, through my college years and the years immediately following, there were times, occasionally, where I kind of got a glimpse that God did say something. I, had, I called them Rima moments, um, but they were few and far between. In case you're not familiar with the word Rima, there, in the New Testament, there are two primary Greek words for word uh, that describe God's revelation to us. The first is logos, which you probably are familiar with, and that refers to the whole word of God and to Christ himself, the living logos. And so we have verses like John chapter 1, in the beginning was the logos, the word, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. In Timothy, present yourselves to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Logos of truth. And Hebrews 4, for the Logos of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So there's the Logos, this the, the, the written word and the living word, Christ. The second word, those Rima, which is more of an utterance. It's a, it's a living word. A rima is a verse or a portion of Scripture that the Holy Spirit illuminates, brings to life, uh, brings to our attention, applies, speaks into a current circumstance, a current need, in a way that, you know, is just supernatural. So Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rima, every word, every living word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the words... Rima, Jesus again says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So two different aspects of God's word. So I did have occasional times when I knew God was speaking, where there was a rima, but I could count those on the fingers of one hand during those years, which again is not enough for what this, you know, this thing we're calling a relationship, that did not qualify a few occasional uh, comments here and there. So after several years of fruitless questioning, uh, speakers and leaders, I came to the point where I just, I reached a point of just acceptance. You know, there may be something wrong with me, but I guess that's just the way it's going to be, all right? Because I refuse to fake it. I refuse to say, yes, I did feel God's presence here if I didn't. I refuse to say, God did speak to me through my devotion. You know, because don't you hate it when somebody says, so what did God say to you from your devotions this morning? You know, no. Uh, I refuse to fake it because I don't want my relationship to be pretend. Who does? You know, in your relationships with one another, you don't want pretense, you want reality. And so especially in the relationship with God, I don't want to have to pretend that I'm close to God, pretend that he's communicating regularly. No, no, I want it to be real, or I'm just going to say, well, it isn't. He's not doing it. This just must be uh, my lot. He may be communicating continually to everybody around me, but for me, this is just the way it's going to be. 
So I accepted it. Kind of like the serenity prayer. I had no choice but to accept the things I could not change. And that was, is a pretty good description of the state of my Christian life when I first read those words, God is not just an ear, but also a voice. That was where I was at, all right? And that was why those words challenged me so much, because I'd reached this point of acceptance, kind of. I mean, it was still niggled a bit, but uh, where, okay, God just doesn't say much to me. But those words, if he never speaks, is it safe to assume he ever listens? Rekindled the whole fire for me again. And I'm like, okay, because I don't want to have, a, you know, I pretend to have a relationship where God is not communicating. How do I know he's ever, ever listening if he doesn't speak? Question I said earlier, how do you know when God is speaking, was a question I had actually neglected to ask myself at the time. Because the truth was, outside of the occasional Rima moment, I had no idea what I was expecting to hear if and when God ever did speak. What was I expecting? Was I expecting a tingle down the spine? Was I expecting an angelic appearance? Was I expecting an audible voice? Was I expecting a voice in my head? How would I know? I'd, I'd never actually asked that question. What would God communicating to me actually look like? I didn't know. So I was still clueless. But then, and then, on a personal quiet retreat in 1995, I came across a sentence in Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, which I was going through. I've been introduced to you for the first time. And that one sentence changed my whole life. I don't know how many speak people I had spoken to, but all it took was one sentence, because what that one sentence did was open my eyes to the fact I hadn't been listening properly to the God that I served and followed. I had not been listening. And the sentence that I read simply said this, truth is never discovered, it is always revealed. Truth is never discovered, it is always revealed. Now you may sit there thinking, well, that's it, you know? That's what you had been looking for? What's so life-changing about that? Well, let me tell you why. Anyone here ever read the Scriptures or a devotional book, or, and, and as you've done so, you've come across a verse or a sentence or a chapter that calls you to say something along the lines, huh, I, I never saw that before. I never understood that before. Look at that. And uh, now I get it. Or, or wow, uh, now I see the link. Passover lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God. I, I'm, I'm making connections. I can see that now. Or maybe, hmm, now that's really interesting. I'm like that. The, the author could be describing my life. Maybe God wants me to do something. How many of you have ever had an experience like that? Just, okay, all right. Anyone ever read or, uh, or heard something that was just inspiring, inspired them, called them to the next level of their Christian experience? A challenge. Somebody preached and they said, are you willing to do this? And you felt inside, yes, that's what. And so you stood up or you raised a hand. Or How many of you have had that kind of experience? All right. What about if you have listened to a message or a sermon online in church and you've just been deeply convicted? It's like God stuck his finger right into your heart and went, and you're like, ow, okay, that's me. Okay, I really need to do something about that. How many of you felt that kind of, okay, all right. My answer to all those questions before I read that sentence was absolutely, yes, all the time, all the time. 
But here's why those words in Blackaby's book had such an impact. I've been an active disciple of Jesus Christ since I was 18 years old. I was now, or then, 35. For over 17 years, I had been reading God's Word. I've been reading other Christian devotionals. I've been sitting in lectures and going to sermons, or going to services and listening to sermons, and I had complained continually that God was not communicating to me. However, over those same 17 years, it was a regular occurrence for one of those things to happen. For the, ah, ooh, hmm, yeah, oh, I see. Those kinds of moments were going on all the time. And I did what many of you probably do. I wrote things down. I scribbled things on the edge of my bulletin, scraps of paper. I underlined things in books. I wrote quotes down. You know, that's what we do. I mean, it was the things that speak to us. And so we, and then we put the shelf, book shelf, back on the shelf and we throw the bulletin away. And, and, it, and so it, it kind of moves us in the moment and then we forget about it. That's how, how it was. And I probably had done that hundreds and hundreds of times. All the while, while that was going on, I was convinced I was discovering truth. We use that kind of language, don't we? We dig into God's Word and we uncover the nuggets that it contains. And it's all about what we're doing. But I had it completely up the, up the wrong way. Because truth is never discovered, it is always revealed. It's always revealed. So every single moment when I had a, mm hmm, ah, ooh, I see, those moments, that wasn't me discovering truth, that was my father communicating to me, personally, individually, specifically. That was God's communication. And that's why those words in Blackaby's book completely blew my mind. You know the cartoons, you know, where you know, somebody gets hit by a rocket and there's a hat left spinning and his boots are there smoking. And I felt like that. I felt i just completely blown away by that one sentence because the penny dropped. I've been fighting with God for 17 years about why, why, aren't, you, why aren't you talking to me? And if God had had a megaphone big enough he said, I've been talking to you all along, you know, you're not listening in the right way. Because I didn't know what to hear, how I was supposed to hear. It was the understanding of the spiritual truth, the insights. Those were the things that God was communicating. And I just didn't know that that was him. He was doing the very thing I said he wasn't doing. And I had all those years of anguish and frustration. He hadn't been silent. He hadn't been just an ear. He had been a voice. It's just that nobody had ever told me that understanding spiritual truth was, in fact, an encounter with the living God. And it wasn't just the Bible, I realized. God had spoken to me through, as he can, speak through anything. He can, he's spoken through films and books and music and poetry and preachers and nature, conversations and meditations and prayers and quotes, anything, in fact, can move us on a spiritual level. Anything that opens our eyes to a spiritual understanding, something that summarizes a truth about life, the universe, you know, human beings in general, or me personally, or God, or his relationship to us, anything of those kinds of things, that was God revealing himself. It was one of the defining moments of my life. And that one sentence transformed restored, gave me back the relationship with God that I really hadn't lost. I just didn't know that's what my relationship with him looks like. He is talking. 
continually. Not only was I elated at this new discovery, which of course wasn't a discovery, it was a revelation, um, but there was an immediate secondary impact. Because up until that moment, all those scraps of paper and books I read and underlined, I just put them back, throw them away, because that's what you do. But then it dawned on me, if those are moments when God is speaking into my life, into my heart, opening my eyes, if he is communicating, maybe I should do something else other than just shelve them and throw them away. These are his communiques to me. So I decided at that point, I'm going to start gathering the things that he says because maybe they're important. Maybe I can go back to them. Maybe I should reflect on them. Maybe I can respond to some of them in prayer. Maybe I just want to say, you know, if I ever wanted to talk to somebody about this subject, that captures it beautifully. And so I started to do that, started gathering them. Initially, I was writing them out, but it just takes way too long. So then I started photocopying. You know, once I got done with the book, I'd go back through, and I would photocopy every page that I'd underlined. And then, I, so I had, I had stacks and stacks of, over, as the years went by, of paper with uh, all these things that God had, had touched me with, opened my eyes to. And then, I'm a slow learner, and then, you know, five, ten years later, I decided, well, what am I going to do with all this? So I started typing them into the computer, thinking, well, I'll just I'll consolidate them all and get rid of this big stack of paper. So I started typing them into the computer, and it took me the best, you know, because you get new insights, new communiques continually, so I type some in, and then you add more, and you type some in, and you add more. And, uh, but eventually, I managed to get uh, the stack pretty much down to nothing. And uh, I decided, I categorized them into different groups, you know, uh, adoration, praise, and thanksgiving. Maybe it's uh, repentance and forgiveness, or, or maybe it's just meditations. I put them into various groups, and then I, I printed them as a book. And here it is. It's just a self-published, can't buy, I didn't get permission from anybody to put their quotes and stuff in here. But I decided I wanted a tangible, I called it also a voice. And it's living proof, it's a tangible evidence to me of a relationship that I have with God that I had struggled with for so long. And it's not that I don't struggle with it still, but I now know God has spoken to me, and he has spoken to me volumes. There's 600 pages of communications to me from God, of insights and revelations, of understanding, of quotes and thoughts, and, and uh, just, it's all, all in there. Now, I'm still doing it, but to have gathered that together in one place just was for me uh, like I'd reached a, a, a real point in the journey where I can say, this, this is my relationship with God. I know that he is also a voice and not just an ear. I don't know what you do with what God says to you, or perhaps like me, you didn't realize until today that God was communicating to you every time there was some flash of insight or understanding or connection as you go through um, your Christian life. But I can highly recommend gathering it together. Publishing book, it's a piece of cake. You just put it in the computer, save it as a PDF, send it off to some online thingy, uh, put a picture together. On online publishing, online thingy. <laughs> online publishing. And a week later, it's, like it's at your door. I mean, everything's amazing. 
I highly recommend, just because it gives you tangible evidence of the relationship with God that we talk about ad infinitum in church, but now I have proof on those days where God feels absent and the heavens feel silent, God is also a voice. I want to finish this morning simply by reading you a few snippets from God's communiques to me, which I hope speak to you too, but they were to me. So you might think, well, that, was, that wasn't very good. Well, okay, you'll have your own. But uh, these are a few of the, just a few short snippets from things that God has said to me. This is from the message, in fact, from James chapter 1, because sometimes different versions of Scripture, a verse is, you know, is brought up to life simply because somebody reworded it in a different way. Eugene Peterson says, James 1.21, In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Oh, that was beautiful. Calvin Miller says, Earth holds a strange power that ties us to dust, so that ponderous souls are bound to her crust. But the wind whispers tales of a force in the sky, and those with the courage to scorn dust can fly. Mother Teresa said, I am nothing. He is all. I do nothing on my own. He does it. That is what I am, God's pencil, a tiny bit of pencil with which he writes what he likes. God writes through us, and however imperfect instruments we may be, he writes beautifully. Abba Agatho, who was a desert father, if you are able to revive the dead, but not be willing to be reconciled to your neighbor, better to leave the dead in their grave. St. Augustine, my soul is like a house, small, he's talking to God, small for you to enter, but I pray you enlarge it. It is in ruins, but I ask you to remake it. It contains much that you will not be pleased to see, but this I know and do not hide. But who is to rid it of these things? There is no one but you. Calvin Miller again in his poem, The Singer. The singer holds our tiny, which will be God, holds our tiny planet to his ear. They're crying, he said. They're crying. This is Jesus kind of talking with his father is the, is the picture. They're crying. They cry so helplessly. Year after weary year, they all keep crying. And then with his nail, he scraped the atmosphere, and both of them beheld the planet bleed. Give me your vast infinity, my son, and I'll wrap it in a bit of clay. Leslie Weatherhead said, It is not the work, but the spirit in which we do it, which determines whether it is sacred or secular. It doesn't matter, finally, whether one lights a fire in a kitchen or another in another's soul, whether one sells soap or sermons. Better to be a good butcher than a bad bishop. It is better service to God. I love this one from Oswald Chambers. If your religion does not make you a better man, it is a rotten religion. Dallas Willard, <clears throat> C.S. Lewis writes, our faith is not a matter of our hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. Rather, the real Son of God is at your side. He's beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a living man. The part of you that doesn't like it is the part that's still tin. 
And then finally, Brennan Manning says, there is an old Jewish epigram that says, God is not a kindly old uncle. He is an earthquake. This, above all else, is what I had wished I'd learned in Sunday school, that how to hear God's voice, what it means for God to communicate to us. So that when we hear that voice, whenever we encounter truth, or our spiritual eyes are opened, we realize this is God speaking to me because this was not discovered. This was revealed. Let's pray together. Father, we say with the psalmist, what is man that you are mindful of him? But it's not just mankind. What am I? that you are mindful of me? What are each one of us individually that you take the time and the effort to communicate individually, personally, intimately? And yet you do. And Father, I may have struggled for years. My, for years, my ears may have been blocked. My sight may have been blind. But now I see. I was in darkness like that blind man that Jesus healed. I, I don't know anything other than that uh, I was blind, but now I see. And Father, I give all glory to you. And I pray for each one here that as their Christian life unfolds, that in this, this relationship with you, that they will begin to know how to hear when you speak. And that when you speak, I pray we would respond if there are responses needed. And that in doing so, you do change us by one degree of, of glory to another into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. Make it so. We ask this for Christ's sake.